Good morning and welcome into the show. It is Daniel Werman coming to you live from the Dream Imaginate Sports Studios. It is 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your super early morning wake-up call out on the West Coast. Good morning and welcome into the show. Welcome all time zones in between and around the world. Thanks for tuning in on this Wednesday, April the 8th. Coming up after the break, we will have Eric Stover joining us and um, look forward to to catching up with Eric and uh, his work with uh, Match IQ as well as the New York Cosmos. Um, yesterday, we, we, were, we, we talked a lot about, uh, you know, what broke on Monday, which is um, this this FIFA uh, investigation and indictments, as well as uh, the Fox indictments, and I think um, if you if you look at both of these, um, I, I I don't see an end in sight. Which for those of us who want transparency, we want good governance, we want all that stuff to to take place. That is a good thing. Uh, how far does this go when you when you pull the string and um, and you and you go down that rabbit hole, um, how far you go, where do you get to? Um, and, and that's going to be something that we're going to, to see, you know, where do we end up when we go looking for, um, answers of who's who, who knew what, when, um, those are all things that we're, we're going to have to keep an eye on as, uh, as we go forward, uh, and, and just kind of see how this thing uh, plays out. Um, but it is it is certainly um, good news, in my opinion, that uh, the feds continue to look into uh, this situation and continue to look at uh, where where we are from uh, the standpoint of, um, you know, getting answers and cleaning up the sport. It didn't stop with some arrests in the past that more uh, looks are coming. And, you know, it it appears as though um, this is going to continue for quite some time. And Zach Zagger, thanks to him uh, for coming on the show yesterday. Uh, His view is that uh, this is, is more of a spider web type investigation and it's just going to keep spreading. Uh, the tentacles are going to continue to, to branch out, and we'll see where it goes. Um, yesterday, uh, a friend of the show, Chris Kessel, was uh, looking into a little bit of uh, the U.S. soccer DA, and I wanted to start off the show there today. Um, and he, he asked this question, are you aware that from 2018 to 2021, the U.S. Soccer Federation has budgeted and spent a total of $31,722,562 on the Development Academy. Total budget for talent identification programs within U.S. soccer over the same period is $6,175,494. That was divided up with women's scouting at $2,240,366, 
and men's scouting at $3,935,128. Hmm. So it seems like our, our women's national team isn't the only set of female players within the federation that aren't getting equal representation. Over this four-year period, 64% of total scouting outlay was spent on the men. The DA, quote, girls youth development, end quote, line item was $361,167 total over the four years with the two years of 2020 and 2021 only including $3,162 per year. Has the DA delivered results equal to this kind of financial outlay of resources? Has the distribution been equitable across genders? Obviously, on the scouting front, as I just pointed out, that is not the case. What do we get for that money? You got you got to understand what's what's going on here. What what are we getting for this money? When you look at the the money spent within the development academy, how do you get there? As much as people would love to fantasize, the Development Academy uh, for, for a lot of players is free. They don't pay. You know, if you get into a Major League Soccer Academy, then, then the, the Major League Soccer outlet is, play, is, is paying for your ability to play. But are all development academies this way? No. So how do we, how do we get there? What's going on? If you're a child and you want to make it through the pipeline to eventually get a free ride with a major league soccer development academy, you have priced out so many families along the way. That those who have made it there, most of them earned it first with their bank accounts, second with their talent. I've seen poor players in this country with sauce, with a soccer IQ and a, and a savviness about them, a touch that is is a touch of of a veteran they had the cunning and the smarts of a player 5 10 years older than than their age compared to their other players their age and they they couldn't afford to 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 pay a $1000 a year And what if that kid doesn't live in an area where Major League Soccer actively recruits, scouts, looks? They can't afford the car rides to drive hours away to get noticed. They're stuck. And eventually, they just play the game for fun, but they never really achieve their potential or 
have a real shot at their dreams. We're going to spend millions of dollars in this development academy for what? So that the 1% of the 1% who can already afford to be there get a life of luxury playing youth soccer? What are we doing? In the words of Taylor Trollman, what are we doing? We're not looking as a country. We're not actively looking for the best players. If you're a female player, you've got an even even less shot at getting seen and having nothing in your bank account or very little in your bank account. U.S. soccer has shown time and time again with the women's national team and now into the, 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 the line items of scouting that they don't value women's soccer. They don't value women's sports as a federation. Now, you personally can, can, can enjoy men's soccer more than you enjoy women's soccer. That's fine. That, that's, your, that's your privilege. That's your, your, your opportunity to have an opinion. Whatever. But the Federation has an obligation and a duty to serve every one of its constituents, every member. Where's the gender equity in that? Paying 60% of every every talent ID allocated dollars going to men over women? At least on the Major League Soccer Academies, if you're a male player, you have an opportunity to go and play and have your your DA experience paid for by an MLS team. So if you are fortunate enough to be in the, you know, tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of players that get into a Major League Soccer Academy, because there just aren't that many of them, you get the fortune of not having to pay when you get there. The women's DA programs, most of them, they still have to pay for. No one's footing that bill. What are we getting for it? Where's the scouting for it? Where are the incentives to the clubs to do it well, to find players themselves? U.S. soccer is so out of step and out of touch with reality. How do we find the best players? How do we develop the best players? Well, we can obviously see the system isn't putting out the amount of quality or the amount of quantity that we need. We're not getting a good return on investment. And... um, and and I'm glad Chris was able to kind of point some of these things out yesterday because it is it is definitely uh, absurd the way this is uh, this program is run and the way it's set up. We have a lot of people thinking they're really important and uh, they're going nowhere. 
fast. Speaking of getting good value, you get good value when you go to ductigbrand.com, D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com. And uh, when you do go there, place an order, uh, you know, they're, they're a small business created by two, uh, female soccer players. Um, and they had a dream to create some products specifically for football, for soccer. And, uh, at a time like this, maybe you got some downtime and you're like, where can I spend my money to support good people, good business? Um, you couldn't put it in a better spot than ducticbrand.com. And, and look, when you go there, um, and place an order, maybe you get you a notebook, a journal, a t-shirt, whatever, um, use promo code DW show. You'll get 10% off of that order at ducticbrand.com. We'll be right back with Eric Stover. Thanks for tuning in on this Wednesday, April the 8th. Um, I didn't say this at the top of the show, but I'm I, I'm pretty sure this is our one-year anniversary of the show, uh, which is kind of cool. And, um, you know, to be, still be here doing this a year later and to have on our next guest, Eric Stover, is always a lot of fun. He is the president of Match IQ Americas and COO of the New York Cosmos. Eric, welcome to the show. How are you doing this morning? Very good. Very good. It's good to talk to you again, Daniel. It's been a little while. It has been a minute. Um, how you holding up with all this uh, coronavirus and uh, shutdowns and stay-at-home orders, etc.? Uh, pretty good, actually. Um, family's all healthy, 
So thank you for asking. And, um, you know, it's been interesting. It's kind of changed the, our day-to-day lives in a, in a good way. A lot more family time and family game night and movie nights and a lot more laughter in the house. So that's been a good thing for us. Yeah, for us as well. Um, I, I've joked with a, uh, a few people that, you know, they they asked about my family and they were like, you know, how are you guys doing? I'm like, we're good. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not really um, at, at this point, you know, concerned about my kids um, dying from coronavirus. I think they're going to die because they kill each other or I kill them. Um, <laughs> I think the odds are much higher uh, for that to happen, yeah. you know, than, uh, than the other way around. But uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're the same. We're spending a lot of family time and, uh, and, and, you know, getting to see each other's faces. My, my wife is a school teacher, so she, she's had to adjust to the fact that school ended you know, two and a half months early for them. And, and, and so she's still trying to wrap her head around all that as well. So, uh, you know, it, it is, it's part of the adjustment, uh, to, to daily life, but, uh, it's, it's, it's good on our end as well. Uh, enjoying that family time and kind of, you know, new schedule, I guess, um, I should say. So anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. the, the home, the homeschooling is not easy, but, um, we're, we're getting through it. We we were a little fortunate in, in that regard. Our oldest had been doing uh, what what the uh, l- the school system calls virtual school. Um, this was his third year of doing it, um, and and what that allowed him to do was basically uh, still be a part of the school system, not go to a physical uh, school and be able to do that anywhere in the world. So if he were to go over and do some training in Europe or go in other places of the country, um, you know, he was able to continue his studies uh, uninterrupted. So for, for, for him, it's the only change has been the fact he's dealing with his younger brother and his, his mom around more, (laughs) right? It's, it's the younger one who's like, Wait, I, I, this feels like summer. Why am I on a computer or an iPad doing a school lesson? Like, yeah. <laughs> can, can I not just watch YouTube? And we're like, dude, you can't watch 15 <laughs> hours of YouTube a day. Not happening. <laughs> yeah, the, our screen time rules have kind of flown out the window, but we're trying to stick to it. But our school district here has been absolutely outstanding. And our we're on spring break. Uh, this week, which is a, an additional challenge, spring break at home. But uh, for the regular days, it's been they've been great, and the kids have worked hard from eight to noon, and then gym class with dad, and then they've had their time. So it's, I think the schools and the teachers and the administrators have done a great job getting us through this so far. That's fantastic. So uh, I wanted to, to bring you on first to kind of have uh, a little bit of a chat of how this whole situation is impacting some of the, the projects you're involved with. For example, uh, you know, Match IQ Americas. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, what that is, what that project is? And then secondly, kind of follow that up with, you know, how is this, this current crisis having, you know, an effect on that project? Yeah, yeah. So, um, not to, to be negative, just shooting straight. It's been pretty devastating um, all around for for the game of soccer, football globally. For us, what we do is um, well, I started the New York office 
a little over a year ago. Um, and the idea was to look after international clubs, not the super clubs like Bayern Munich or Barcelona that already have an office in New York, but our target was the next tier down, the, the, the clubs that are in European championships um, and looking to stay within arm's length of the super clubs in their global reach. Um, and having worked for the Cosmos for eight years or seven years, whatever it is, um, and with Red Bull New York, I had the unique experience of um, working with international clubs, and there was always a come this time of year, a panic to try to organize friendly matches and activate within the United States um, for the summer, very last minute. And so I, I recognize the opportunity that uh, with a little bit of investment, you can make those summer activations far more effective and prepare all year um, leading up to it and also have a much longer tail on the impact of your summer tour if you're working on it 365 days out of the year, whether it's with sponsors, new and current, whether it's with social media, um, with existing supporter groups that are already in the United States, helping them grow their numbers and starting new supporter groups. Really, everything a front office does, both sporting and commercial, all year as an extension of the individual clubs. And it's an idea that's really resonated with a lot of teams. Um, my business partners uh, have been at it for about six years now, based in Germany. They represent between 40 and 50 different clubs on a much smaller concept in Europe. Really, it's about postseason tours, uh, friendly matches, preseason camps. Uh, what we're doing here in the United States, as I said, is the 365 all-business approach um, to the sport. And the, the, the message has really resonated with them. But for us, um, the timing of this, I, I don't know that there could ever be a good time, but it's been really devastating for us. We, we were very close to signing three new clients um, and it was, we were in deep negotiations and quite literally overnight, it just stopped, completely stopped. Um, and you get an understanding of the financial concerns that these clubs have and how, like many of us, they're living hand to mouth in a lot of ways. They have these enormous, um, expenses that, um, they could manage because they have enormous revenues, but the revenues overnight stopped um and that just has been catastrophic to so many of these clubs so in in terms of the u.s the american-based uh part of this project um for the audience who you know maybe they don't fully understand because when we talk about american soccer and the potential of american soccer i think a lot of people you know kind of go, yeah, yeah, we get it. You know, we have the NFL and the NBA, Major League Baseball, and sports are big. And But I don't think they really understand, like, how big soccer uh, is currently in this in this sport, 
but also how how big commercially it actually could become why do these clubs that you are working with overseas what are why do they look at america as as a a destination that they want to come to and and, and what is it about uh, the american uh potential that uh gets them interested in the first place in in doing you know work with you guys in a, in a 365 day a year fashion yeah, it's really everything about the business is wide open and a huge opportunity here in the United States. Um, the the number of sort of first choice soccer fans over any other sport in the United States is is huge, and I think underreported and under understood, if I, if I could put it that way, um, then than what people really realize. Um, so something like 330 million people in the United States, depending on the statistics you look at, there are at least 30 million people in the United States that say soccer is their number one sport. Um, and if you look at the metrics of domestic club soccer in the United States, we are only attracting a small percentage of them, whether they're buying tickets or jerseys or watching on television uh, whether it's MLS or USL or now NISA, that we're capturing a, a small percentage of that market. Um, and the vast majority of soccer fans are watching European leagues um, or they're watching Liga MX. Uh, the, the statistics, the numbers are very, very clear. Um, so from your typical front office commercial operation, the market is wide open here. And if you're a, a club that's in the top four, top six, and you're trying to stay within arm's length of the Champions League clubs, you need to really be in those markets and competing. And I think China is another market that's similar to the United States, very different in, in many, many ways, but similar in that uh, the market is open and the market is choosing European clubs more than their domestic clubs. Um, so I think the, the the European clubs have seen that and they see opportunity. And again, it's not just the commercial side of things; it's also the sporting side. So, in in the work that you guys are doing, it, it, that obviously goes. If you're going 365 days a year, as you mentioned, that's going into these supporters groups. It's going into commercial activities. Um, that go beyond just a tour. Um, when a when a club is looking to build their brand, um, and, and this might be a lesson for even some domestic clubs, uh, if if a club is looking to build their brand in a market, in in, in let's 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 use the U.S. Uh, as a national scale market. What is what is the approach that you guys take in terms of you know getting getting them exposed to and introduced to the American market and and how do you get them connected? Um, well, it, it's it's two sides. It, like any communication, it needs to go back and forth. Um, so one thing we do, and I can use Schalke as an example because we spend most of our time working on Schalke. So in the last six months, we've helped them go from three registered supporter groups in the U.S. to seven. 
Our goal is to get to 10. Um, so some of that is just rolling up your sleeves, making phone calls, emails, connecting to people you, you're finding on Twitter, and helping them take the next step that they want to take. Um, and that grassroots approach is, is very much how clubs operate in in their home country. It's obviously it's a very tribal sport in in Europe, and so you're trying to emulate that for expats or people that have connected to Schalke because of Weston McKenney, or maybe they're an Everton fan and they they like John Joe Kenny and they're they're following his um, his progress, but they're living in Toronto, so it's. Um, it's working on those that, that kind of obvious connection to the community, um, helping social media put it in a, an American or Canadian point of view. Uh, I think is very helpful. The the metrics that we've done for Schalke the the first quarter that we worked with them, we basically doubled engagement um, and um, number of followers. Uh, so it's, I think if you're paying attention to it, one good example for, for Schalke, Weston McKenney, so he's a, a top player on the U.S. national team. We did a viewing party in D.C. when um, they were playing, when the U.S. national team was playing Cuba in D.C. and Weston scored a hat trick in seven minutes, set a record for the national team. Um, social media for Schalke would have really been on pause at that point because most people at eight, nine o'clock at night in Europe, East coast time are already asleep, but we were actively working on it. It got a lot of engagement during the game. Um, so you could see how we're really extending the window for them into basically a 24 hour operation on social media side. Uh, commercially speaking, European clubs have have just amazing attendance, loyalty, uh, supporter following. I believe Schalke has something like 130,000 um, registered fans. It's one of the largest uh, member groups in all of football globally. Um, so it's you know it's telling that story and and getting greater engagement on a on a global scale. And then on the football side, sticking with Schalke again, Weston McKenney is a great example. Um, player comes up in the U.S. system, uh, gets to Schalke at 18, uh, gets into their, their system, which is world-class. Next thing you know, he's playing and starting every, every match in the Bundesliga. Um, and on, from a business point of view, that's a great transfer. Basically costs them nothing. Um, and then if Weston eventually moves on to another club similar to Christian Pulisic moving on to Chelsea, there's huge revenue in the transfer market. So there are a lot of players in the United States. We fail pretty dramatically in developing those players from age 14, 15 to 18. Um, and finding a way to get them to Europe as soon as possible. And there are a lot of examples in the Bundesliga and so tr trying to help that process happen as, as all the grassroots stuff we do is so valuable, but you, you hit on one Weston McKenney and that, that funds a huge part of the club's operation for, for many years. Uh, so I, I think it's really a, a full service 365 look at how we can help clubs um, do better in, 
the U.S. and Canada. From a um, New York Cosmos perspective, uh, you know this is this is a club that that reminds me of that boxer in a Rocky film. You know, Rocky just keeps <laughs> keeps getting knocked down, and they're like, "Yeah, we're we're not going away. We're still here." Yeah, um, you know, check your <laughs> shoulder. Own bleeder. That's right. You know, uh, check your shoulder. We're getting back up. We're still here. Um, walk walk us through like. Uh, where you guys are right now and you know obviously the the announcement was made to join nisa for this season but now everything's up in limbo uh what is the kind of current future for the cosmos uh with nisa and timelines and 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 what are you guys preparing for in terms of looking looking at it through the lens of this uh you know coronavirus situation but we were kind of prescient in in waiting to start in the fall. Uh, it was kind of giving us an advantage at this point when uh, maybe was looked at as a disadvantage. Um, but the positive is we have seven very good players already signed. Um, we have another three that have signed term sheets or will will do so in the next couple days. Um, and then we have a couple other term sheets out that would take us to a starting 11 that I think is very formidable. Um, I feel really good about it. I think Carlos Mendez feels really good about it as well. Um, I think this team, when we get everybody signed and announced that first 11 or 12 guys uh, could, could rival the Cosmos of 15, 16, we wouldn't have quite the star power, but I, I think it's a good, solid, all-around 11. Um, so I, we feel good about that, and hopefully we'll have some more announcements here in the in the coming weeks. Um, from the, the business side of things, um, as you know, Rocco Camiso is the owner. Um, you know, A lot of billionaires have been taking a lot of heat over the last month, as they should, Rocco's an example of going above and beyond um, the the Cosmos, Fiorentina. Um, he's done tremendously in supporting those organizations. Hopefully, we could talk a little bit about um, what he's doing for for Florence um, a little later in the show. Uh, but economically speaking, the Cosmos are obviously very sound. We're rolling forward with. Um, with our plan, um, and again, it kind of works out to, that we're we're always starting in the fall. Um, but it, it's, it was very difficult for us. We had I had three friendlies lined up with international clubs, big name clubs that some a couple we probably would have done in New York, and one we would have done abroad, which would have been uh, financially lucrative for us and um, would have made some some noise for us leading into the season, which would have helped kind of put the spotlight back on us. Those things are all gone and that, that really hurts. We also had a tour of Canada lined up, uh, would have been a great preseason training, 10 days abroad, get everybody on the same page. Um, and probably would have had a game against the Canadian premier league team, um, which I was really hoping to see up close and personal to see how those clubs are developing. Unfortunately, those things are all probably gone. Um, and we're going to have to just focus on getting ready here locally in New York and, and then get into the season. Um, uh, so like the, the big clubs abroad, this has been, um, difficult for us 
here locally with with the Cosmos. But I think um, on a, on a NISA level, on a league level, um, everybody's staying cautiously optimistic. What comes of the end of the spring, summer, and then into the fall season is still being discussed day in and day out. Um, good news is, I don't, I don't know if you've seen it today, but the Bundesliga has announced their plans, um, and I think that can be a model for the rest of the world when it comes to sports. Uh, so for your listeners, if you haven't seen it yet, um, go to the New York Times today. There's, there's a big story up there uh, on the Bundesliga. Um, and again, Germany and, and how they've handled the, the virus is a, a great example for the rest of the world. So in, in terms of the Cosmos uh, and, and your plans and coinciding with NISA, which was a, a league um, a, a couple of years ago that had made a, a big uh, announcement about wanting to operate fall to spring um, and, you know, launched last fall um, and we're, 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 you know, trying to get into the thick of it and, and build the league. Um, does it look like from a, from a, a league, obviously you guys were looking at launching in the fall. Does it look likely at this point that everything just kind of waits and all kind of kicks off fall of, uh, 2020? Well, um, that's really up to um, the eight owners that are playing in the spring, and they haven't made a decision yet. I think as a league, we could do a better job of defining our season, our competition better to the fans. Um, there's a lot that we can do better when it comes to that. Um, of course, it's much more complicated. Excuse me, much more complicated now in the face of COVID-19. Um, but there's also an opportunity in, in these, these situations to sort of regroup, um, look at how you're operating and then come back out with a very clear message. So hopefully over the next few weeks that will happen. Um, and we could define our, our league and our, our competition, our competition structure a little bit better. But of course, you know, the pro league standards and trying to manage those with U.S. soccer has not been easy for the league. Um, and so that has often created challenges to, to really get a fledgling league on, on stable footing. Um, but we'll see how those things develop, uh, as I said, over the next few weeks. So in, in looking at the, the future and, and, and building for the future, you, you've alluded to the potential of American soccer and, and what it can be. We know what the Cosmos have been in their storied past and what they've also been in their recent past. Uh, as you guys are building the Cosmos uh, again, uh, as I said, the, the boxer that refuses to die, refuses to go down, uh, uh, What what is the dream? What is Rocco uh, looking at as the owner in terms of uh, building the cosmos uh, is it to to continue to chase this idea of of really building a significant uh, big club uh, and restoring it to what it was in its past is it is it to build the cosmos in that way again and, and is and is nisa a part of that journey and kind of re relaunching uh the brand the club etc uh, back to american soccer uh well it's that's all really hard to say um particularly 
in the middle of this of this pandemic. Um, I, the the real positive point of view is Rocco's been committed to this club since he saved it from death's door a few years ago, and continues to do that and, and stayed open to the idea of of fighting to get the team into Nisa. We were able to do that. That was not easy. It took a lot of discussion, um, but he has remained supportive of the club and wanting the Cosmos to to survive. What the future like is is so complicated. Uh, obviously, the NASL lawsuit continues. The federation is, um, as you've discussed many times, is in disarray at this point. The women's lawsuit, the the foundation lawsuit, um, Charlie Stilitano's lawsuit, uh, ours. You know, how they respond to this, how they reimagine the federation, if they get back to the mission of trying to grow the sport instead of fighting with so many of their constituents, um, all of that remains to be seen. Um, the next 12 to 18 months, I think it's going to be very critical. We've really lost two years in the process of fixing these things. Um, and we're not any closer. I would argue we're, we're much, much further away than we were two years ago of, of fixing these things. Um, so for the Cosmos, the, it's, you know, more of the, we just keep battling, keep battling, keep battling. And um, we do have a, a short-term vision that I think is exciting. We, we've, as I said, put a good team together, and we're also going to, as we get close to the season starting, um, hopefully sign a lot of good young American players, 16, 17, 18 years old that have potential for Europe, uh, help them develop and get into a pro contract that then allows them to transfer to Europe sooner rather than later. Uh, so hopefully we'll be able to announce some of those players here in the next month or so. So we have a plan, a plan very similar to what we had in 13, 14, 15 in, in growing the cosmos with players like Haji Wright and Erica Vio. Um, so we want to get back after that and fo focus a lot more on the New York market. And so I think we could do that. But for Co for uh, Rocco, um, he has obviously put a lot of his heart and soul and his money into into Fiorentina. He's done a great job in a short amount of time, continues to support the folks um, in Florence who, who need it desperately. Um, and, you know, that that is a great thing, but it's also for American soccer. It's it's kind of disappointing because there's a lot of money that could be invested here in the U.S. that now is is being spent in in Florence. Again, that's a passion, and you have to be impressed by that effort. Um, but I am a little disappointed that uh, that that's not happening as he originally envisioned a couple of years ago with the Cosmos. So I want to get to to those uh, two topics. Uh, that 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 was really um, where I wanted to go with with that question was getting us to this. Uh, first, how much? Because uh, I've talked about this on the show even this week. This 
this uh, aspect of uncertainty. Uh, when you, when uncertainty is in the market, when when it's when it's not clear path, when it's not um, you know open access and opportunity, it stifles uh, ambition, it stifles creativity, it stifles uh, productivity, etc. There are just so many adverse negative effects when you are dealing with uncertainty, the unknown. Uh, it's paralyzing. It's crippling at times. How much has in uncertainty um, had an effect on the cosmos in terms of you know being able to really be aggressive at a bold, big vision for American soccer? Yes, it, it is. It has been devastating, and if you said word more than once on this podcast, trying not to be to be negative, but obviously a lot of stuff going on in the world. Um, for us, and, and, and just to talk about 2013 to 2017, uh, we had big, bold, ambitious plans, uh, and it was really about reestablishing the Cosmos as a, a, a great club that's recognized around the world again. It was very ambitious, spent a lot of money in a short amount of time to, to, to try to show a better way, a different way, a way that more aligns with the way the global game operates um, and using our stadium plans as an example, that uncertainty around whether we were going to be able to build a stadium or not was devastating to everything we did, whether it was sponsorships, season ticket sales, everything we did. The first question was what's going on with the stadium. Um, we had the plan in place. It was a taxpayer free project um, I, to my knowledge, never been done in the United States, still hasn't been done, where every aspect of a stadium plan and mixed-use development was not going to involve any taxpayer money. Um, and we had lobbyists, whoever they were working for, were working against us. Um, and that really uh, hamstrung our, our process. We weren't able to talk directly to anybody in government, only through the development authority while lobbyists were going directly to elected officials and working against the plan. Um, And what seemed to be a no-brainer decision stretched on for four years. And and as every day went by, it it slipped further and further away from us um, and had very long-lasting impact on our day-to-day operations. And we still feel it now because... You know, where is the league? Um, we're, we're going into a new league. We were down to semi-pro the last two years, now trying to bring back up. That's hard for fans to understand and continue to support uh, and get behind. And so um, we really need a, a federation that gets back to the mission of helping grow the sport, whatever level it is, uh, in, instead of fighting with the constituents. Um, and I think if we can get to that, then there's so much potential in the United States and it's not necessarily in, in major markets like New York, it's all over the country, but people have to see a path forward without that. Uh, we're going to continue with this fractured structure. That's not really working, um, to develop the best possible players in this country. So, um, you know, when I look at the Cosmos story over the last, you know, five years, um, to me, there's not a better picture 
of of what happens to an organization, to a dream, to a club, than the New York Cosmos story uh, and how uncertainty has, you know, the whole proverbial uh, rip the rug out from underneath you so many times, uh, which is why I, I was saying, you know, you guys are like the, you know, the boxer <laughs> that, that refuses to quit. Uh, um, and, and that alone deserves praise and recognition that you guys have continued uh, despite the odds, despite the, the lack of support from the Federation, um, you know, to, to continue to build and continue to move forward is, um, you know, uh, amazing, uh, quite frankly. Um, and that really brings me to this last, uh, point you you mentioned Rocco and his work in Florence and his work with Fiorentina, but also his work with the the New York Cosmos. And I just wanted you, as someone who has worked with him uh, for these last few years, um, and and someone that you know publicly in American soccer circles, in, in my view, has been completely. Misun- been misunderstood um has uh, maligned um like he he is everything you would want an owner to be um and and you would you would you know that i when i when i'm looking at hey you know who, who what's the kind of person that you would want somebody's going to fight for his club somebody's going to uh support his club support his community etc i i just wanted for the audience to to, to hear you know your your thoughts on Rocco as an owner and and what he's done to support the Cosmos, Florence, Fiorentina, New York, etc. Uh, well, he obviously has done tremendous work um, in in the face of daunting odds. I mean, he didn't start. He didn't save the team from death and save the league from death um, to end up in a protracted lawsuit. That's that was not at all his vision. He, he just wanted to save the cosmos, wanted to own a soccer team, wanted to give back to the New York community through soccer, which had given him so much as a, as a player, then as a college student, and then ultimately to his very successful business career. None of this was about for him, as he explained it from the very beginning to me directly and to all the staff was, it was about all of those things. It was not about a, a lawsuit and it was not about money and um, being profitable for many people. They would look at, at the operation over the last few years and, and really say, what, what's the point of this? Um, you know, there, there doesn't seem to be an obvious path forward, at least at how things are structured at the moment. Uh, but he's persevered, and he has wanted to to make the the uh, the sport go and the club survive. Um, but I think he's also seen the injustice of how um, a lot of things have operated and had very critical things to say. Um, and in that, when you're first out on the limb to say these things are wrong, you're going to get criticism, particularly from folks that like the status quo. Uh, we've seen it with Eric Ronaldo. We've seen it with Hope Solo. A lot of the folks that came out and said, wait a minute, we shouldn't be doing it this way. Um, and we don't have a healthy dialogue in the United States around this sport uh, and how it's governed and how it's operated. Uh, and Rocco was one of the people that was one of the first to say, these things should change. If we're ever going to get better, these things should change. And a lot of people 
didn't like that message. Uh, and that's un- unfortunate. Um, but he is not giving up the fight. I don't, I don't think he will. I think he will continue to, to say what he needs to say. Um, and I think his best intentions are now being shown in Florence um, day in and day out. And he's done a tremendous job there. And um, as I said before, I, I really hope that we can get back to having a clear path forward for the cosmos. So um, we could do some of that same good uh, locally here in, here in New York. But I, I will say one thing that this has pointed out and reinforced to, to me personally, having lived it closely and it's part of my heart and soul is one thing we miss in this country is good versus evil. Uh, and a lot of people hate the cosmos. Um, and that's a good thing for soccer. Uh, it's good to have the chatter between Detroit fans and cosmos fans. It's good to have the battle between the rowdies and the cosmos. We don't have enough of that. We don't have enough of the passion stirring around these clubs. And I don't think there's enough of what particular teams stand for. Um, and then having the battle of those, 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 um, ideals clashing. I mean, there are good examples, Seattle and, and Portland's one, um, but there's just not enough of that. And uh, the cosmos is just overall good for, for soccer in the United States, whether you love them or hate them. Uh, it's good and was great when we were playing open cup games against Red Bull and uh, NYCFC. And, and now that's gone. And I, I think we've, we've lost a lot of that. I would hope we could get it back. Uh, I know f- my personal experience, those games were some of the most important events I've done in a 23-year career. So um, Rocco will continue with that fight, and, and uh, hopefully at some point in the very near future, we're in a, a stable league that has a path forward that um, and Nisa is successful, and uh, we can get back to trying to build things instead of arguing over um, how things are governed. Yes, I completely agree. Uh, it is, it's, it's, it's absurd, uh, quite frankly. Um, I'll say it where things are on a governance standpoint, uh, how we, how we get to those decisions, uh, and then, and then the decisions themselves, um, you know, it, when just looking at it from a, from a neutral perspective, I, I just, I want the Cosmos, I want Detroit, I want AFC Mobile, any, you know, any club uh, in this country to have an opportunity to build their dream and, and, and take it as far as they can uh, without artificial roadblocks, um, uncertainty, tampering. I mean, there's just, there's so many, uh, you know, issues with where, why we are where we are. And, uh, and, and I, I hope going forward that, people begin to finally realize how damaging those effects are on the entire country. Um, and you're right. Uh, status quo. Uh, there, there are a lot of people uh, within the game who, who like it the way it is. And, uh, and they like it the way it is, not because it's the best thing for the game or for the families or for the players. They like it because they've, they've created uh, for themselves 
um, you know, either a fiefdom where they have power, access, control, but more importantly for a lot of them, it's, it's about the money. And, um, and so they've, they've, they've created challenges to, to doing soccer, the, the world's way. And in the, the ironic part of the whole thing to me is, uh, if we were to actually embrace, uh, doing the, the game, the world's way, I, I think our soccer economy would explode. And so those who might be worried about job security or their ability to earn revenue in the future in a different, uh, setup to me, it's just a, it's a head scratcher because I just think so, so much of our potential is limited. And, um, you know, for every, for every New York Cosmos and, and Rocco Camiso and Eric Stover, and others who, who are involved with with the cosmos uh, there are clubs that either can't afford to or just tire of the fight what have you that 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 aren't able to keep up and and it has just such a drag on the soccer economy uh, and the ecosystem and uh, and so I, I you know obviously hope that that change is going forward um, and uh, and obviously want to see you guys continue to uh, have the opportunity uh, or to get the opportunity to build um, the way that you really want to build. Uh, how can people follow your work and connect with you um, and, uh, and and connect with the Cosmos as well as uh, Fiorentina? Uh, well, a few things, and, and thanks for teeing me up for that. Um, a couple things I want to mention. There will be an article today on the Cosmos website about the Coney Island Lighthouse mission. Uh, thank you to, to Rocco and to the Cosmos. Over the last few years, we've supported the mission with donations, and we, we've done another one recently. Um, the food banks here in New York are really struggling. Um, over 35% of them have already closed. So I would encourage the listeners, if they can, um, go take a look at that article later today. There will be links in there on how you can donate. And this is putting food into the mouths of the most needy New Yorkers um, in an organization that's done tremendously, that's under enormous strain right now. So please take a look at our website later today and and then follow the links to make donations. And then, uh, of course, as we've mentioned a couple times on the, on the call today, um, is Fiorentina's uh, GoFundMe. Uh, I'm going to try to speak Italian here for a second. Uh, Forza E. Corre, I think, strength and heart. Um, but if you Google GoFundMe um, Fiorentina, um, you will find uh, a GoFundMe page. Rocco's already helped raise over 800,000 euros. That revenue, that money is going directly to doctors and first responders, nurses in Florence that are fighting this this terrible disease um, on the on the front lines. So two two charities there. If folks are inclined to support one that will help New York and one that will help Italy, um, and then for me personally, um, you can find me on on Twitter at um, Eric Stover NYC. Well, Eric, thanks for coming on the show. Best of luck uh, with the Cosmos and the prep there, as well as Match IQ and and uh, and and all of that. I uh, appreciate you spending some time with us and really kind of giving us uh, a look um, behind the scenes at uh, re- the realities of uh, American soccer and uh, and the realities of uh, all of the work that's going on behind the scenes. Uh, so much that. Uh, 
is not necessarily highlighted, but should be. So we appreciate uh, your time and, and, and coming on the show today. Thanks, Daniel. I appreciate it. Thank you. That is Eric Stover. I uh, really appreciate him coming on the show um, and uh, and sharing uh, his thoughts with us as well. Uh, another charity that uh, you could check out is Charity Water. They provide clean drinking water to people all over the world. And, uh, and you can be a part of that story at charitywater.org. We'll be right back after this. No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. Now you could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the lives of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. Thanks for watching the show. Thanks to Eric Stover for coming on the show and uh, appreciate him sharing his thoughts. Uh, look, uncertainty, uh, limitations, I, this should not be part of the American soccer conversation. Just plain and simple. And uh, Will Wilson, uh, Cindy Parlocone, uh, the CEO and, and, and president of U.S. Soccer, respectively, um, should be trying to make it their mission to get things fair, equitable, in terms of opportunity and access and just let the let the chips fall where they fall um billionaires don't need to be protected they they can do their job and they can do it well um and and every uh club organization should have the same opportunity to do what they can do maybe it never gets big enough maybe it never materializes but they should have that chance uninterrupted. Thanks for watching on the show. Thanks uh, to Eric for coming on the show. We'll see everyone again tomorrow.